We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from arsenalvision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Paul and Tim will be chatting about the 2-0 victory at home to Reading in the EFL Cup. Enjoy the podcast. Back after Sunderland. If I told you the guy with the double-barreled last name scored twice in our League Cup match against Reading, you would only have a 33% chance of guessing who it was. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and it was not Jeff Rain Adelaide who scored twice. It was not Ainsley Maitland-Niles who scored twice. It was not John Jefferson Jamison or Jaw Lars Jesterfeld Jesterton. It was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. We will discuss him, his goals, the youth, the injury to Lucas Perez, and everything else that went into a game that was only... 10 goals less thrilling than the last time we played Reading. But first, I need to do the professional thing and introduce myself and my podcast mates. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner and the other two gentlemen who are so gentle. They're so gentle. Uh, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paz. I'd love to be gentle with you. And the vomit in my mouth is uh, swallowed. And now we can introduce Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Who loves the taste of ours? He does, um, as do we all. So we are going to lap up the arse in just a moment. But before we do, um, just a quick mention that Tim has written an exhaustive and thorough report on the uh, Associates General Meeting, uh, the Arsenal AGM. Is that what it stands for? Annual General Meeting. Yeah, so, you know, you say annual, I say the wrong thing. Let's call the whole thing (laughs) off. Um, The Annual General Meeting. 
which uh, you can read on Arsblog, correct? Arsblog News, yeah. Arsblog News. Um, I recommend it. Nothing earth-shattering there, so we can move on to the game. And it was, as expected, heavy rotation. There was really no mystery about the squad. Um, I thought it was a really interesting game in that <laughs> there was a lot of clever build-up and exciting opportunities and also a lot of sloppy play, um, a lot of gilding the lily, overplaying, not a lot of fundamental football on display. Tim, would you say that this game was, um, how to put this, not the highest quality in terms of execution on the pitch? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. And I think that's uh, that's a symptom of the fact Certainly from Arsenal's point of view, it's a very unfamiliar team full of players who don't usually play together. I um, I really, really like the League Cup normally. I really, really enjoy it. And one of the things I really like about it, so like in England, you know, the FA Cup is kind of sacred. And even though it's dying a death because nobody, I care about it, but I'm I'm in a very much in a minority and nobody really cares about it anymore says the man who stays up late to watch brazilian league football tweets (laughs) about the ladies league watches the youth football yes it does not surprise me (laughs) exactly exactly i'm in something of a minority but even though like nobody really cares about the fa cup anymore there's this thing where you're not really allowed to say it and um it's you know and therefore whenever the FA Cup comes around, people really over-egg the pudding about all oh, the tradition and all of that. And I like all that stuff, but it's just not genuine when people say that. They're just, you know, they don't like it and they don't care about it anymore, but they just don't feel like they can say it. The thing I really like about the League Cup, it's always been in its history a bit of a kind of wacky, offbeat competition anyway. It was designed in the 60s to kind of discourage English teams from playing in Europe and also because... Floodlights were a new thing then, and this uh, having a midweek competition was a way of showing off floodlights. And um, it's kind of retained, I think, that that kind of otherworldliness, maybe apart from um, a small period in the 80s where English teams weren't in Europe, so it's a bit more important. And what I really like about the League Cup is nobody pretends um, to give a shit about it, least of all the teams themselves. And so what usually happens is because everyone puts their reserves and their kids out, um, you get all these unfamiliar teams and these unfamiliar lineups. And actually what quite often happens is you get some quite wacky games. You get a lot of goals because defences in particular are just thrown together. Everyone puts that keeper that never plays in cold and he hasn't played for like six months. So basically you get a lot more errors and that quite often leads to more entertaining football. And... um, that you definitely saw that the last time we played Reading um, in the League Cup. On this occasion, I think the fact that it was at the Emirates meant that Reading really threw in the towel before the game had started. I mm. think they wrote it off. And I think actually what you ended up seeing was two teams who didn't really care whether they went through or not. Um, and had it happened at Reading's place, that might have made for a fairly entertaining game. But I think it being at the Emirates, Reading just. You could. I think there was definitely a period at the beginning of the second half, for example, where Arsenal were really, really there to be got at if Reading really wanted to. But I just don't think Reading wanted to. I don't yeah. think they wanted to go through. I think they wanted to be eliminated. Um, and Arsenal knew that they didn't, once they got that first goal in the first half, they didn't have to push the boat out too far. Reading didn't want to equalise. So, you know, and then the second goal really, really kills it. 
Um, and actually, you've got the flip side of the League Cup, which I don't think happens that often, but where both teams play fairly unfamiliar teams. One of them doesn't want to go, like actively wants to be eliminated, and the other one can take it or leave it and that actually made it a very very low key fairly low quality game yeah you know it's amazing though the more things change the more they stay the same and i think we'd all agree you look at something that was created as a competition in the 60s to show off a stadium innovation right the floodlights (laughs) and you fast forward to today and it's still a competition designed for that very same reason as west ham showed off their uh, removable seats which I, th- I think, you know, you look at it and it's just stadium innovation after stadium innovation. Um, yeah, that, that, I went a long way to get there. Um, so, Paul, we, <clears throat> we disagreed on this topic just a little bit we offline. A little. And I yeah. think, look, there is a difference between explaining something and it still existing, right? Like, if you have a lot sure. of unprotected sex, that can be the explanation for why you have herpes. It doesn't change I, the fact I don't actually that you remember have this argument. herpes. <laughs> like I said to you, you know, I thought that it was a very poor quality game. And one of the things that a lot of people said to me on Twitter, and you said as well, is, well, that could be down to the fact that there were a lot of people out there that just weren't used to playing together. The both yeah. can still be true. What yeah. I felt, though, is I almost felt like there wasn't enough serious professionalism on display. Um, so I guess what I would say is, why don't you give me the counter-argument? My opinion is there was just too much sloppy play in the fundamentals. You know, final balls that were casual, that weren't executed properly. Lucas Perez was guilty of it. Oxlade-Chamberlain was guilty of it on multiple occasions. I thought um, Jeffrey Natalie and Ainsley Maitland-Niles executed some nice pieces of skills, but also overplayed on a number of occasions. So to me... While there was some attractive football on display, it just looked sloppy and unprofessional at times. What what did you see? Well, yeah, it was sloppy, unprofessional at times. But to Tim's point, you know, welcome to the League Cup. It's going to have, to me, it's somewhere between a, a uh, preseason game on steroids against in-fit and somewhat informed team as opposed to Singapore 11 who've never met each other, aren't fit and are a foot too short. Hang on. Is that racist? I don't know. Um, is, the, is the problem that you have young players that feel they have to prove their entire worth in their limited EFL cup opportunities? There is undoubtedly some of that, but, but we should remember there were only three juniors on this team. Everybody mm-hmm. else was somewhat experienced and so I think we can overplay that a little bit. I think it was definitely the case of uh, gilding the lily. Well, but, with, but uh, almost all the players are players that are not, with the exception of Awobi, none of these players would expect to start regularly for the first team, and so all of them have a point to prove. They do, but they're experienced enough to know that the way you prove a point to Arson isn't necessarily to beat seven players and then fall Excellent over the point. ball. Yep, good point. It's it's to show you can build up play and you know we can talk we will talk about the ox I'm sure at once at some stage. Coming up next. But, yep. So I'll leave that one for now. I don't quite agree with your in, uh, initial introduction. We'll get there. I, you mentioned you mentioned Perez, we'll talk about him. I thought overall he had a really good game, but I concede some of his passes to his colleagues uh were uh, poor, usually with his right foot, and not done to impress the manager, I can assure you. 
Uh, whereas no, he had one really unselfish David. moment, right, where he, he yeah. was he was in on the right channel and he tried to slide yeah. in. Was it Jeffrey in Adelaide? Um, yeah. And, and the uh, pass was just know. woefully under hit. Yeah, I remember the one. I don't know. It might have been a Wobie. I think it was a Wobie. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Jeffrey in Adelaide, I don't think he did anything crazy mad kind of entertain the peeps, catch the manager's eye. I don't think he had his quite the game I was hoping for, but I thought it was okay. I thought uh, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, conservative. The joke I borrowed from uh, arsenalist.com. I thought he had a really good, but also, to your point, some flourishes and some moments of poor quality, but showed a lot in his game. I thought he was maybe the most exciting find of the day, not that anybody is really a find. Mm -hmm. I thought Zelalem came on and played a really solid good game uh, and to me that's that's the charm of the the uh, league cup you're going to see a mic- mishmash the, the, you know one of the things i didn't agree with you on when we argued uh oh sorry we discussed on the twitter nets was you talked about it being more a series of uh individual performances rather than a collective a and cohesive that's what, collective yeah yeah well it and I think it was cohesive until it wasn't. In other words, there'd be some lovely play, like genuinely lovely, vengerable passing between players who didn't really know each other that well in an 11. And then it'd, it'd uh, fall down somewhere, usually in the final third, for the reasons we talked about. So, yeah, you got to, to me, you got to be able to pick through it. Um, I don't think that was any worse of a game than I would have expected going into it. I thought it was pretty entertaining. It's very open. Uh, it just felt weirdly sort of shapeless and open and chaotic. Like it was I guess that's what it was for me. It's just it was hard to understand yeah, what the shape was supposed that. to be at times. Um was, we had tons was. of room to run into in midfield and yet we would lose the ball in a silly way and be scrambling to get back to them. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think sometimes. part of this also is Reading just seemed so poor that it felt like we we struggled to step on their throat when they were basically laying on the ground and offering it. Yeah, and they gave us plenty of space. Um, I think, interestingly, they should have either decided to come to press us or decided to sit back and keep it tight for a while. Instead, they decided to play our game at us. Mm -hmm. And it was a nice game because of it. I don't know if I'd say they showed up not to win the game. I definitely don't think we didn't want to win it. The manager clearly wants to stay in the competition. He might he mightn't be determined to pick his first eleven for it, but once the eleven goes out there, I think everybody on that pitch wanted to play, and wanted to win, and I think the manager wanted to win to stay in the competition because he needs to give these guys games. But well, if know, we can outs- win at home against Southampton, I mean we're into the semifinals of the competition, and I, I get that that's not a given. That's a tough fixture, but having avoided any of the big boys, and it's possible that you know only Liverpool and United left in it. We'd we'd be as favored as anyone. Um, yeah, and he gets to give Gibbs a game on whenever it is November twenty ninth, and these other people are going to be coming into his office saying, "When do I get to play?" And and you know, worst case, he's got November twenty ninth or whenever it is. Yeah, um, Tim. There are two players in particular that I that I really want to talk about in this game: um, Alex Oxley Chamberlain and Rob Holding. Um, mm. Let's start with the Ox, a player that gets a lot of attention. Um, understandably, but he's a bit of a lightning rod. He's kind of become one of those polarizing figures that there always seems to be a couple at the club. Francis Coughlin has become one, and I think Ox is as well. 
Um, his end product has improved this season, although I think you'd have to point out the games in which he's gotten end product, um, Ludigrets and Redding being two of them. But this game for me summarized him in a lot of ways because everything he did, the goals were individualistic. He did some nice individual things, but with opportunities to involve his teammates, I felt he struggled. What was your take on his performance as part of the collective? Yeah, it was it was a right old mixed bag, wasn't it? I I, I agree with um, with that observation that he basically he exists outside the structure of the team, which sometimes can make him very very handy if the structure isn't working. Um, I think what that makes him is a decent player to bring off the bench when it's not going very well, um, a bit like Giroud, perhaps. But um, I mean, there, there was that nice little link up. I think it was with Giroud where he really should have gone one more and squared it to Iwobi on the back post. Mm-hmm. Although, given the quality of Iwobi's and <laughs> shooting at the moment, maybe not. Um, so it. It's it's really really hard to tell. It was it was such a mixed bag. There were some really really good things, uh, namely the goals, and then there were some things that were really not impressive. One aspect where I do think he's improved. Um, I know I said a, a couple of podcasts ago I talked about him, you know, having a bit of a look at Awobi and what he's doing, and by that I didn't really mean becoming the same player as Awobi, but more the spaces that Awobi was picking up mm. and. Um, this, um, this, I, I think, Paul, it was you who sent over an article that was on New Maxit um, earlier this week about Arsenal using the half spaces much better this year. And um, well, that's a world uh, before you, definitely. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And actually, if you look at where a lot of Oxlade Chamberlain's goals have come from this season, um, particularly his first goal uh, against Reading, they've come in that half space where he's yep. usually been a kind of chalk on the boots, get round the fullback and chuck a crossing type of winger. He's actually kind of moved in field. And whether this is by instruction or intuition, I, know, I have no idea, but he's kind of moving in field a little bit and trying to pick up those danger areas. And that, that I and think... Maybe Adam, learning a little bit from Theo, which we've heard some yeah. talk about too. Well, the first and, goal and, was a picture-perfect Theo goal. <laughs> and Quite, and actually Wenger said that himself, didn't he? Yep. I, can't, I think it was after this game, he said they're like picking each other up mm-hmm. um, at the moment. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, that, that was a kind of, it was very similar to Theo's goal, his first one against Basel, I think. Same sort of area, same sort of finish. And we know Chamberlain can do that. We know he's got a decent shot on him. Um, as to how he performed within the collective... Not brilliantly, although I might cut him a little bit of slack in terms of, you know, I don't, he's only played with Lucas Perez once before, um, although Perez was, was very encouraging, I thought. Um, I don't think he's really played in the same team as a Wobi too often because it tends to be One either or, the or other. between yeah. them. So, no, he wasn't great within the collective. There were a couple of kind of individual moments. Um, we might have been talking a bit differently if that nice bit of link-up play with Giroud had ended up in a goal. But then again, I think Giroud is one of the very few players in this squad that Chamberlain really does have a relationship with. And I think if, Chamberlain, if, if Giroud is playing up front, I would play Chamberlain. And can I lob in quickly, Tim? There was that really nice through ball he did for Perez that put him through on goal. I mean, he, he did have a few, better than normal, he did yeah. have some good link-up play but it was Reading and it was the 
League Cup, so I wouldn't get too well, carried away. On I feel like there are so many times in the match with Ox, and I hate to say this, where like he executes or tries to execute some piece of individual skill and shoots and doesn't score, the ball goes out of play, and there's some teammate standing six or eight yards away with their hands pointing to their feet, you know, kind of giving him a look. And I just, you know, it's been a long time since I played any football, but I'm sure we've all played at some point. And you know that guy who's really, really talented on the ball, but he just never gives it to his teammates. Um, and I'm not saying Ox is selfish necessarily, but you wonder how much how much slack he has with his teammates, especially the more high-profile ones like an Ozil or an Alexis, um, if he's going to be out there not finding them when they're available. And statistically, if you look at him, and I'm not trying to pile on, this is just the statistical reality, he is at the virtual bottom in pass completion percentage for any outfield player at, the, at Arsenal, near the virtual bottom of any outfield player for key passes played other than the back four. He is near the bottom for um, number of passes played per 90, but he's right at the very top behind only Alexis and dribbles executed. And to me, that kind of sums him up a little bit. You know, I mean, great on the ball, great dribbler, can shoot well, I feel, but, you know, he struggles when it comes to the passing game and the, and the slick movement, and the one-touch passing. And that's why I think, to Tim's point, if he's an either-or player with a Wobie, for me, you just lose so much when you pivot from a Wobie to, to Ox in terms of the dynamic of how we've been playing. Tim, was that you? I, I heard think, him piping. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think um, that, that once upon a time, that made Chamberlain, um, I thought, a very, very valuable player for Arsenal. The fact that he was a bit individualistic, the fact that he did operate a little bit outside the structure of the team. I thought that at one point that made him... Um, quite valuable to us just to bring us a bit of variety I think that changed when we signed Alexis <laughs> yeah because, you know you said you said it he's second behind Alexis in dribbles well Alexis does all of those things that Chamberlain does but he does them better um, and with greater end products so and by the that, way just slightly ahead of Alexis in pass completion percentage so again if you've got a guy like Alexis who does have end product and can play key passes but turns the ball over quite a bit and dribbles quite a lot. Can you afford to have another one who doesn't have the same assist tallies and key passes? And Indeed. Yeah. And the, the other thing I'd say about Awobi as well, and uh, Nick Segway, I've written about this tonight. Um, Awobi, one of the things that's really going for Awobi is he takes the creative pressure off of Ozil, um, which is part of the reason that Ozil's scoring more goals, and he has a great relationship with Alexis. If you want to be a first-team player at Arsenal having a good relationship with our two best players is a very good way of going about it. Chamberlain doesn't really have that kind of relationship with either of them. The forward he has the relationship with is Giroud. And, you know, as we discussed a few times, Giroud's use in this team as a, as a you know, a first pick could have expired. So that, mm-hmm. you know, that could potentially make things difficult for Chamberlain. Um, yeah, and, and I think the only thing that may change that is with Lucas Perez going down to injury, it certainly brings Giroud one step closer to being first the, the first option behind Alexis at center forward other than what might have been the third. Um, so it's Paul, heartbreaking, really, because he did have a really good game apart from... I, yeah, the funny thing is I, I thought Perez's final ball let him down on a couple of occasions, but I think what we're seeing with him is his movement fits right into what we're trying to do. He moves really well. He is strong. He is quick. Um, He does want to involve his teammates. I think sometimes 
you get guys that come in who are new to the squad and they want to show what they can do and their first thought is to is to shoot. I like that he he wants to make that pass in the box. I know that drives a lot of yeah. our fans nuts, but that's... Just, just don't ask him to square with his right foot at the moment. Apparently not. Or with um, any foot. But, but he, we're not going to be seeing him... He's not no, going to be squaring or dribbling or anything for four to six weeks, which is really, really unfortunate. Um, I'm going to give you your choice here for a second, Paul. Do you want to chime in on the Ox debate, which we've kind of exhausted to some extent, or do you want to switch over to Rob Holding? Uh, well, I don't really want to talk about either one of them. Uh, I'll say this about the Ox. I basically agree with your point. I think he had a better game than, than maybe we're saying, but it was the League Cup. And the fun, the fundamental mistakes that are part of his game at the moment, the uh, that lapse he had where he was jogging. Apparently, I want to talk about the ox. That lapse he had when he was jogging <laughs> back towards the box. Do you remember that one? Yeah, he was in a yeah. key position in front of the uh, of our back four, uh, and the next thing, one of their boys comes streaking past him, right where he's supposed to be watching out, and he's like, "Oh, look at that." <laughs> <laughs> Where did he come from? Yeah. He came from behind you, Ox. The, now, he played it out of the midfield and up the field a couple of times very nicely through the midfield. He did he did a lot of very nice things, and yet he displayed all of the things that have meant that he's not a starter in that game. So, frustrating. I'd like to think he, he had perked up a bit and he's feeling a bit more confident. Um, but... Again, you got to see him in a, a real game against a team that's pressing us and has a proper defense, whereas in this yeah. game, he had to beat one man, skip past him, and he was through into acres of green space for yeah, various reasons. And, and I think the other thing is, not to be too up my own ass here, I think you, know, you can get too caught up with process over outcome, and football is a results business, they tell us. But I do still tend to think good process will more commonly lead to good outcome. And I'm I'm not sure the process for Ox is right at the moment. He's had some mm-hmm. good outcomes. I mean, the second goal, for example, right, he shoots and it you know it gets a ricochet and it goes in. I you know, I, I think that's fine, but I think the process is still flawed there. And I think also with the way we've shifted to a the style that a Wobi has, I I don't know that Ox will ever be able to play in those spaces in that way. I still think he's built to be a, a more traditional winger. Um, so, okay, well, I want to talk about Rob Holding. Tim, you want, to, you want to talk about Rob Holding? Yeah, let's talk about Rob Holding. All right, I mean, you know, we've been burned by getting excited about young center halves b- before. We even briefly got excited about Callum Chambers, um, who, by the way, his career's not over or anything, but certainly fell from grace pretty quickly after a hot start. Holding certainly looks to have the tools and the physicality combined with, the, dare I say it, footballing intellect to be something special. How excited are you by what you saw from him? Yeah, very. And I, I, I'll tell you what's perhaps a slight difference with Rob Holding um, compared to, because I've been suckered by all of them. I've been, I was suckered by Matthew Upson. I was suckered by Senderos. Giroud. Who, Giroud, yeah. Um, and, and Chambers. I really liked Chambers as well. I still do. Um, well, the, the, the one think, thing we can say is Chambers spent what little Premier League career he had playing fullback. And I do think yeah. that that can be a tough transition. So, you know, maybe yeah, relearning the position will help. Yeah. But um, I think where Rob Holding gives me quite a lot of hope is that um, 
when when I've seen him play, I don't look at him and think, oh yeah, he looks like a good young defender who, um, you know, if he rounds off there and he works on that, he you know he could be really good. He kind of he already looks like a fairly seasoned defender. You know, he already looks like um, a fairly good level 24 25 year old defender to me he doesn't look like a rough diamond um i'm not saying he's complete because he's obviously not given his age but if i looked at him and didn't know who he was i would probably say yeah that's like that's a decent 24 25 year old premier league center half he doesn't look um very green uh shall we say and maybe playing in a terrible team like bolton um, in a championship, you know, in a championship relegation season. Well, he was their player of the season, right? That. Yeah, yeah, and it's easy to scoff at that, but you know, you can look at that the other way and say, well, you know, that that probably made a man of him. And actually, if he didn't crumple into a tiny little heap and cry his eyes out every night playing in that team, then you know, he's he's probably got something about him. If he was able to turn up every week. It, because Bolton were relegated like halfway through the season. It was like Aston Villa in the Premier League last year. They were gone by New Year. But if he was still turning up every week and putting in performances, that says a lot about him, um, about his personality, about his quality. Um, and I just really like the way he carries himself. He looks he looks established. He looks confident. He doesn't look like, oh, you know, he might make a mistake or two, but, you know, he'll probably iron that out. He kind of, he already looks there in the few times we've seen him um, and that's exciting because you think you know, d- people's different players careers peak and trough at different times but you think there's at least a reasonable chance that he's going to get a lot better given his age so mm-hmm. I, I know I was impressed by his physicality as well he doesn't look like a big strong guy you know but he knows how to use his body um, to kind of, you know, shepherd people off the ball and move them off the ball or move himself and get himself between the player and the ball. And uh, I, I thought it was, I, and I understand it was a championship team, so you could say to some extent it was his level, but I, I was very enthused by what I saw. I thought he was our best player. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think it says a lot that the experienced center half next to him, Gabriel, looked like the guy learning the position and not necessarily having a composed, cool head. And the young kid next to him was really the the safe, reliable anchor, the central defense. Uh, I you steadfastly refused to talk about him, Paul. But now on our Skype chat, you're begging to add a word. So what's jumped to your mind since the last time you turned down the opportunity to talk about Rob Holding? Yeah, this won't be popular. Uh, well, I still don't really want to talk about him. But what I would like to say Fantastic. is, yeah, <laughs> the points you're making about him, it strikes me. You could kind of say the same about Awobi specifically in this game in that he was given the responsibility of the number 10 spot. You know, he's the same age as these other young young kids coming in or maybe a year or two older. But his maturity in that game, uh, you know, he, he knew his responsibility that he was the driver of the midfield in terms of chance creation. And, you know, he showed up in the number 10 spot. He dropped deep. He helped out. He worked his ass off. He doesn't always play 70 minute, more than 70 minutes in a Premier League game. I was actually, you, you might expect he'd be impressive in this, but it could, have been, it could have been easy for him to become somewhat anonymous, think it was good enough to be good enough. I thought he was really good and showed a level of maturity here. Okay. Um, I think, you know, the, the game itself... Uh, 
ultimately was a chance to see some young players and not draw too many conclusions because you're at home against very, very poor uh, opposition as it turned out. Before we kind of move on to issues of the upcoming games, and I think the, the more important issues from this, were there any other players, non-first-team regular players, Tim, but any other of sort of the younger players or the less favored players that stood out to you here in a way that suggests they might be ready to be more involved this season? Not especially, no. Um, I, You know, certainly not the young players as such. I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles has obviously got a lot of ability and looks a, a kind of very sound technical player. But, he, you know, he, as you'd probably expect from someone of his age, he was over-elaborating at times. Um, he does kind of look like a quote-unquote Arsenal midfielder. Um, but he kind of needs to simplify a little bit. I was I was enthused certainly by the movement of Lucas Perez, um, and I think that really sucks if he's out injured for a few weeks because it really looked like this might be the first chink of light in his Arsenal career. Um, he really kind of gave the impression that he could take the mantle from, or sorry, he was starting to give the impression that he can take the mantle from Alexis on occasion, but. To be honest, um, no, not really. It was it, it was such an uneventful, bitty game, and very, very few players stood out. To be honest, I the the thing that sucks about the Lucas Perez thing is like, for whatever reason, he's been really slowly integrated, but the signs are there that he could be really handy, and now he goes out, you know, at a time when he maybe was just starting to get some opportunities. Um, I think the worry is if what it means is more opportunities for Olivier Giroud from the start, and that's not just a joke about how much I don't like Olivier Giroud, but just Lucas has shown he has the mobility to continue with the system we've been using, right? So, like, I would feel confident that if Lucas started, whether it was centrally or on either wing, that it wouldn't be disrupting the system too much. Um, And that's really what I'd like to see is for us to continue to play in the same way. So... I think, you know, look, there's some other nice little stories here. Giroud makes his return. He had a fantastic bullet header, brilliantly saved. Um, uh, Which really, you know, we talked about his potential role coming in on after 70 minutes, and I think that was kind of a a poster moment for what you might have hoped for him uh, in the last game had he come on and was just absolutely on the noggin. Yeah, um, and and you look, it's good to see because I think he's an important player for us going forward as that plan B that we don't have without him. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like everything I think about him is is negative. It's it's more just that I think from the start we want to stick with the more mobile front line. Um, I guess you know, Tim, the the one thing I would say is you said there wasn't a, any other player that stood out for you too much. If I had to pick one, maybe it'd be Emmy Martinez. Um, yeah. made, made arguably the save of the season for any Arsenal keeper. And it is really just ironic because in past seasons, the guy would be knocking on the door to be starting with the status, the state of our goalkeepers. But he's clearly third in line behind two exceptional keepers. Paul, any quick thoughts on, on Emmy Martinez? I mean, is this a guy who just looks the part and maybe, you know, we got sucked in by Chesney, but mentality kind of ended his Arsenal career. Is this, is this a guy who maybe has, has a big future here? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he certainly seems, as much as you can tell, he seems to have the right attitude. Uh, he was ready on the one or two occasions he was needed in this. He looked sharp. Um, you know, in in terms of players in this game who might contribute to our our squad this season, um, he could certainly end up contributing. All we need is 
one injury, unfortunately, from one of the keepers. Um, but he, he looked the part. And I think you could say that about our actually our back four. I think, uh, I mean, Jenkinson, well, he played the full 90, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty impressive from a guy. I mean, we, he always had an engine. and I think he proved it again. He was a bit cautious going forward. But he looks like, uh, I mean, when we last saw him playing for the Arsenal, he had a bit of a habit of if the ball was hung up in the air, in the in the mid the kind of deep midfield he'd do something weird and wacky and drop himself in it hopefully a couple of years of maturity have made the difference there and you know he might actually be a good foil uh to not quite compete with Bellerin but you know uh, fill in that spot there I think Gibbs did pretty good in the first half and did a couple of dodgy things in the second half but certainly showed his p- pace protecting the counter and I think Gabe did good there wasn't tested that much and holding did very good so i think i think the back five all proved some kind of a point in that game albeit yeah i mean i I don't think carl jenkinson has a future at arsenal personally um i mean it's so early to say so early and he's just back from injury but i love the kid and it's great to see him playing an arsenal shirt you say that but it's very hard to get a very good Back number two, yeah. full back. Well, the one and, thing we know is he, he might be very good, but not. Or he might be good, but not great. He might be steady. Here's what we know: I, he's a guy who would gladly sit the Arsenal bench and wait his turn patiently, right? So yeah. it's hard or to the find. Anyway, right, yep. right, right. It's hard to find players that are willing to do that, and I think he would. Um, I think we've done a hell of a job to squeeze out 35 minutes about this match. <laughs> I, I think we can push on. I mean, the only thing I'd say in addition is. And I'm not just saying this as an American. I have a sneaky feeling that if he was given the opportunity, Gideon Zalalem could be the heir apparent to Santi Cazorla. I think that's he's the guy that's got that skill set. He can kind of carry the ball. He's a needle player. He can make those little passes. He's quick to get the ball out of his feet. He's a little bit slight, but I think he's built up some physicality with his time uh, at Rangers, which you're going to do, I would think, or you know, pay for it otherwise. Um, he hasn't really had the chance to break through. No. But he got like 14 or 15 minutes in this, but he did catch my eye. I do think there's a robustness about him he didn't have before yeah. he went off. Yeah, but the footwork is there, and it, that's why yeah. it kind of reminds me of of Cazorla in that respect. Someone with that, someone who can be the needle player in midfield. And the reason I bring that up is it's a good transition. Tim, we, we go to Sunderland at the weekend. They're bad. Um, we should yeah. win this. But yeah. we looked pretty bad without uh, either Shaka or Cazorla in midfield. And Elneny played in this cup game, and I almost wonder if it was just to give him more football to be better um, for Sunderland. I mean, there's there's no chance we're yeah. getting Cazorla back for the weekend, I would guess. What, what on earth does the manager do with the center of our midfield this weekend? Uh, and um, what did you think of El Nenny in this one while you're weaving it together? Because I thought he was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard. The one thing I'll add about that is there was so little pressure in midfield. He yep. must have looked around and yeah. thought, like, do I run into all this space? What, what the hell do I do? <laughs> it's like, it's and like he was, the whole he pitch was to more himself. of the DM. He was more of the deep-lying playmaker yeah. DM yeah. grown up in the midfield in this game, for obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as to what he does on Saturday, it will entirely depend because he might not have any choice but to go with Elneny and Coquelin, um again, because that might be all he has available unless he decides to 
do something really left field and put Maitland-Niles or Zellalem in. So he, we might just have to see the same thing again um, out out of choice. The th- the thing I'd kind of add on the Zellalem thing, I he, he's a, he's a weird player, right? Because I used to watch him in the under twenty one side a couple of years ago, and in the under twenty ones, um, you never saw him. He, you'd look, you'd watch a game, and it would completely pass him by. And Interesting, think, yeah. But I remember that when when he'd play in the first team, he looked much much better because yep. I, I think he's just on that kind of level. Certainly off the ball, on the ball with those combinations, I think he's just one of those people who perhaps needs to play um, that level of football for things to make sense. But what's quite interesting is that Arsenal haven't sent many players out on loan at all. Uh, from that kind of tier of the squad. Um, you know, Maitland-Niles is still here, having been on loan last season. Chubrak-Pom's still here. You know, Rene Adelaide's still here. I wonder, and, you know, Wenger made the decision not to send Iwobi on loan when it was this time last year, when we went out of the League Cup. It was very, very, very close. I think Iwobi had agreements with a couple of clubs in the Championship with a, with a view to going on loan, and then Wenger changed his mind at the last minute. And I do wonder if he's lost faith in the loan system. Yeah, um, a didn't little didn't bit. he talk about it a little bit at one stage about how it can be very difficult? I think he did yeah. recently. Particularly if you go to a team in the championship or something like that and they're yeah. fighting for something, because what yep. happens is if they're really fighting for something and they have to make a change in the team, it's always the loan player that they take out. Whereas you send. You know, I think some of the players that are on loan, like Chesney, it's because they're done and he's not really interested in what Chesney does at Roma anymore. Whereas Wilshere, I, I think Wilshere's he, probably he's, done he's at done. Arsenal. Yep. But but at the same time, you you know he's going to play every every if he's fit, he's gonna play for Bournemouth and actually so there's still some use. There's no chance that if, as we expect they might, Bournemouth are in a relegation battle that they're dropping Jack Wilshere, they're not. Um, so I, I wonder if the composition of some of the League Cup players, quote-unquote, in this squad um, tell us something about Arsene Wenger's changed attitude towards the loan system. And it's worth saying that over the last couple of years, the youth football in this country has been really restructured. So you've got the UEFA Youth League now. There's a lot. The fixtures are much more regular. In the, now It's now the under-23 league. Uh, whereas you used to get kind of four or five weeks without a game and then you get three in a week and then you get now it's much more regular it's structured you know much more like the adult league shall like we first say. team football yeah it, exactly exactly so maybe he just thinks well maybe you know players particularly like Maitland Niles and Zellalem nice passing midfielders they're probably better off staying here and training with us and you know well, training into the Arsenal style of play. And you know what I think, Tim, with respect to a player like an Awobi or like like a, a Gideon Zalem, when you look at the, the players that tear up the youth league, it's the J. Emmanuel Thomases or Chuba yeah. App, the guys with unique physical dominance who yeah. who can just bully their way through physically less developed, less skillful or tactically aware players. But you can't bully your way through, you know, first teams um, no. for the most part, unless you're Yaya, Yaya Torre. Um, and I think, you know, Zalalem is a player who, or Zalalem, however you want to say it, who relies on finding space, being available, exchanging passes, quick one-twos, 
you know, moving into that space for metronomic passing. And I don't know that you have the teammates around you at the youth level to appreciate and utilize that skill set. You know, I think he's one of those puzzle pieces that he he ties everything together, you know, like, like Cazorla does. But to tie everything together, you need to have parts that can be put together. Um, and, and I think at the, at the lower level, the, where the Chewbacca's and Jets and things like that excel, it's much more easy to spot the individual talent versus the guy who thrives in a, in a collective environment. Yeah, yeah, precisely that. Um, so Macedozo and Santi Cazorla have exchanged 187 passes in the Premier League this season, the most frequent pass combination in the league in 2016, 2016-17 um, season. How how do we get Ozil more involved this weekend at Sunderland, Paul? Like, if it is El Nenny and Cochrane, what what the hell do we do to replace that that pass connection specifically? Uh, I don't know really. I mean, hopefully Sunderland will actually try and compete in the midfield to some degree. Um, that was definitely a, a problem last time out, which meant that you know w- without a midfield battle to battle. Coquelin's ba- bag of tricks is kind of not exactly re- uh, suited to the to the uh, the field of play. Um, I'm hoping El Nenny. I mean, it, to me, he did have a very very good passing game in this. Now, yes, it was the League Cup and Reading, but if it if it sparks him, I, I seem to re- remember him being more aggressive in his passing style and more. Uh, more ambitious when he first arrived, and he's kind of settled into a, a gentler rhythm game right now. I seem to remember Coquelin himself having a pretty good couple of games uh, again when he first arrived and Coquelin co- got back. I'm hoping that's, that Sunderland play a little more, uh, compete a little bit in the midfield, uh, create a little space, but also give Coquelin a chance to kind of leap in there, get a ball back, spring an attack. I hope El Nenny comes out of this a little bit more aggressive, feeling good about the role he played, takes on a bit more responsibility. Outside of that, I don't really have any more magic. Okay. Uh, um, Tim, we need some magic. <laughs> um, well, I'll have probably had several beers by the time I get there. Um, can can, I, you, can I, you do more magic when you're more drunk? Can you Every, everything seems more magical when you're so. drunk. <laughs> I, I, I Just think ask my, my wife. Hope. That explains our entire relationship. <laughs> I think my hope would probably be, um, I agree with Paul, that hopefully Elneny will be a bit more assertive, not so much physically, but with, his, with what he does with the ball. Because in fairness against Middlesbrough, a lot of his passes, you know, he was trying to pass it forward. It just wasn't quite, didn't quite have the, tempo in it that it needed I think really what we're looking at is hopefully Sunderland being a bit worse than Middlesbrough and with a rest in midweek that Ozil and Alexis will just be a little bit um, a little bit physically more at it than they were against Middlesbrough because Mm -hmm. I think certainly in hindsight we made a big mistake um, with Ozil playing 90 minutes against Ludogorets and I think or Cazorla starting at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think those were, you know, the errors in hindsight, they've probably put them both together. And I think you've got a mistake. They're probably two half mistakes. You don't, you don't um, think he'll make any effort to do something different with central midfield? I mean, could he move Iwobi there? 
Uh, is it possible Ramsey plays from the start in central midfield, or do you, do you think for certain it's going to be Coughlin Elneny? The only thing I can think of is him starting Ramsey, but I don't see that. I think I think Ramsey will probably be a sub. And, you know, again, that, that can give us a little bit of hope, perhaps, because if the midfield isn't functioning that well, um, then we can call for him. But I think I'm right in saying Coquelin and Elneny started against West Ham um, away in April. And, you know, we went 2-0 up in 25 minutes in that game. So it's not impossible. It's not like playing Coquelin and Elneny means we're definitely going to struggle to score goals or create anything. Well, do we think also um, the fact that we're away means that be just the tiniest little bit more impetus yeah. uh, you know, from, yeah, from the home so. side that gives us a little more of the space we didn't have against Borough? I think so, yeah. yeah. Because actually, Coquelin and Elneny, another game they started in and around that West Ham game was um, at home to Watford in the FA Cup, and that didn't go so well. Um, and I think you're right to make that distinction between you know, home and away. And although I do think Sunderland will pretty much, they'll play quite similarly to Middlesbrough, I think. But once they get the ball, they'll probably have a little bit more ambition. And, you know, that hopefully that's where someone like Francis Coquelin can make a difference as well, because, you know, they won't just be, you wouldn't have thought Sunderland will just go back to front if, if and when they get the ball. They'll try and do something attacking-wise and perhaps we can create something from there. But, you know, I think when we played Sunderland at the end of last season, it was Elneny and Ramsey was the partnership. But also when we played Sunderland at the Emirates and drew 0-0, that was Cazorla and Ramsey. We played without a proper kind of defensive midfielder. So, And, and we didn't score then. Um, so, you know, I, I think whoever we play, we might have to be a bit patient to break them down. But, you know, I, I don't think having Coquelin and Elneny means that we're definitely in for a struggle. Yeah, I mean, and I do think you gotta look at the bench because that was a, a big issue in our last game, and yeah. this time you might have, you know, w- w- we had an argument about whether we wanted Ramsey or Giroud to come off the bench. Well, this time round, we might have a, both. <laughs> we might have yeah. both, so that that'll make a big difference after seventy minutes. Any surprises, other, Paul? Oh, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say the other option he does actually have in central midfield is Chamberlain. Yeah, mm. I, I mean, that's actually a really interesting point because the question I was going to ask for you, for you, Paul, any surprises you expect to see? Do you think Awobi might drop out for Chamberlain from the start on the wing or that Giroud might get the start there and Alexis gets pushed out wide? Or do you think he'll stick with what he did at Borough and just hope for a, a more rested performance from the, the key frontman? Uh, I'd bet on the latter that it'll be basically the same team uh, with some op- different options from the bench, that he'll see how Coquelin Elneny, if he sees the same pattern in this game, he might look to make a, a, a change a little bit quicker than 70 minutes. It might be more like 60 minutes mm-hmm. um, and give them like 34, 35 minutes to run at them. But I would guess it'll be uh, the, the, the same basic 11 starting. Yeah, and I mean, I do think it is pretty interesting that like we could have Ox, Giroud, and Ramsey all on the bench, all who all all of whom add something dynamic and different to the game than what we would start with. So there should be options. Um the downside of the matches, David Moyes will probably not be there. Um he may be disciplined by the FA. 
for being sent to the stands in the last match. So that that does give Sunderland a lift. Anyway, um, I think we've done more than than our fair share on the uh, EFL Cup in the upcoming Sunderland match. It's the North London Derby after that, so we want to keep our powder dry. God knows. Um, you can certainly find these two insightful, interesting, uh, and uh, intelligent Arsenal supporters on Twitter. Tim is there, at Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure, as always. As always, the pleasure was yours. And Paul is on Twitter at Posn in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Momentum and the second time I watched it. Great. Good. Yeah, because we hadn't gotten that in, right? Yeah, drinking okay. game. Drinking game. Yeah, it's the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, drinking game. Uh, anyway, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Don't forget to give us five-star review and write nasty stuff in the uh, comment section of that review. I'm talking this fast because I know most of you listen to this podcast on one and a half times speed, and I'm curious to hear how it sounds to those people. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you after Sunderland. Enjoy the football. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com